Like the idea of a round two, I think is such an underutilized skill when it comes to the LSAT. If you haven't seen the answer after a minute and a half, another minute and a half is probably not gonna do it anyways. Yeah. And so you just come back to it. Hey everyone, welcome to the Seven Stage LSAT Podcast. My name is Henry Ewing, and I'm joined with my co-host. Austin Sinha. I am super excited for our second episode of season two. What are we going to be talking about today, Henry? How to break the curve. Now, if you're not super familiar with the LSAT, you're more new to the, the test and the space, you might not necessarily know what that means. For But for people who have been studying for a while, you know, curve breaker questions tend to be the questions that cause people the most amount of trouble. And there are a lot of people mm-hmm. that I know who are studying for this test and all they can't get are those curve breaker questions. So, Henry, yeah. tell us a bit more about what those types of questions are. What do they entail? Uh, you know, curve breaker questions, it's all about separating the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> of course, wheat being the people and the test takers here. Uh, they, they call them curve breaker questions because uh, really it, it's the people who get the curve breaker questions right are going to be in the upper echelon of uh, you know testing performers and the people who get them wrong. It's not like they're doing uh, poorly, but it's how they make sure that there is a you know a top 10 percentile versus a you know just a top 50 yeah um, so absolutely. you really have a good distribution of of various uh, uh capabilities on the test and so a curve breaker question it'll be something that uh you know so if you're in the 170s you'll be capable of doing uh, well not i shouldn't say capable someone who's in the 170s is probably going to get right versus someone who's in the 160s mm, might have not as good of a shot mm-hmm. and so absolutely. yeah that's a curve breaker question unlike a you know, like a middle tier question, maybe a three star question where you can kind of expect most people who are in the 160s to, to be getting the intermediate questions right, uh, along with the people who are in the 170s. And so really, it, it's we're trying to separate out uh, with a curve breaker question. You're trying to or LSAC is trying to separate out uh, the people who are just uh, very well, I, I don't want to say the people, uh, the test takers who know what they're doing. Uh, I don't want to say know what they're doing. Um, what what word am I looking for? I, I think what you're looking for are people who have really mastered this test and the type of thinking that is required mastery. for this mm. test. I think mastery yes. is a good way of putting it because I, right, I hear yeah. a lot of people who want to score in the one of LSAT. <laughs> sure, right? Like a lot of people who want to score in oh. the one seventies, especially in the mid to high one seventies, and scoring in that range really requires perfection out of you. They are going to put questions in this test that are incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging. And if you want to be able to score in the mid to high 170s, you have to be so comfortable with this test and so comfortable with the thought process that it forces you to have that these curve breaker questions don't even feel that difficult to you, right? They should be just as breezy. You need to breathe conditional Right, you have to, I honestly think if you're trying to score in that range and you're trying to get all these curve breaker questions right, you really have to be in this like almost perfect headspace of like you are the LSAT you think mm-hmm. the way that the LSAT asks you to think yeah and one disclaimer I want to put out there before we continue talking about these curve record questions how to improve how to deal with them is that well two disclaimers number one not every question on this test is going to be meant for you and that's okay right there are going to be questions mm-hmm. that you see that you simply are just not going to understand the time that you have or they just don't sit well with you. And that is totally, totally fine. You can still miss one or two questions sometimes and get a 180. So I wouldn't stress too much um, about trying to get every single curve breaker question, every single difficult question on this test. There are questions that to this day I see that are still really challenging for me, questions that I might still miss because there are some questions that just weren't meant for me and that's okay. 
The other disclaimer I want to put out there is that the rating system that Seven Sage uses, and I know other platforms have other rating systems as well, we rate our questions through one through five stars, is not a perfect science. There are some five-star questions that have been incredibly easy for me, and there have been some one-star questions that have honestly tripped me up. Maybe I read something wrong. Maybe I just didn't understand it. So when we're looking at curve breaker questions, they are labeled that way and the difficulty is set that way based on an average. So don't let it worry you or stress you out if you see a one or two-star question that you really don't understand. Uh, Or don't get confused if there's a five-star question that felt incredibly easy to you. Don't get too confident, huh? Maybe you're just getting lucky. (laughs) No, the point is some questions on this test are are really just based on what your individual strengths are and the types of logic that you understand best. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about curve breaker questions. And again, I just want to put out there that these are meant to be an average assessment of the average test taker. Uh, So cool. With those disclaimers out there, let's go ahead and start talking about what it means to kind of identify how to improve on curve breaker questions, what you should be looking to do. What should you be looking out for, Henry? Well, the first step we'll, we'll, we'll go with is timing. And, and really, mm-hmm. timing is, is not even about the <laughs> – it is about the curve breaker questions. It is about the harder questions. But the way I look at timing is it's actually about the easier questions. Uh, the goal yeah. of timing on this test is not to spend an equal amount of time on every single question. And the reason why is that easy questions should go by quicker and harder questions should take longer. I know it mm-hmm. sounds very um, – it's, it's like it's groundbreaking like a stuff it's a t- right? yeah it's like pretty yeah wow it's great uh, that's most things on this podcast is that actually that groundbreaking <laughs> um but the funny thing is online you see a lot of information about how you have to spend more time uh or you have to really make sure that you get the easy questions right you get the first 10 questions right and and the the consensus i don't want to call it a consensus but they appeal to this idea that because all of the questions count the same you should really spend and devote time to making sure that your first 10 answer choices are correct, uh, your first 15 answer choices are correct, because they're easier, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're quote-unquote freer points. The issue with that, though, is spending a lot of time to bring yourself to 100% certainty is never a good move. It mm. is far better to spend a minute and get to 90% certainty than to spend two minutes and get to 100% certainty because effectively you're trading 10% certainty for a minute. That's not good at all. Um, you would much rather be devoting that to a harder question. So one of the, the issues that I, I – not I want to say it's an issue I run into, but it's something that I have to get my – people who are in the 160s uh, well acquainted with is this idea that you want to be – don't feel like you need to know for certain that your answer choice is right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on answer choice A or the question one, <laughs> right? Question question one. If answer choice A looks good and you're pretty familiar with this test, it's because it probably is. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess what? The curve breaker questions tend to be later. Now, not always, yeah. but they tend to be later. So don't bet as if there's a trap on question one. Why would you bet that? Uh, there, there, sometimes there is, sure, but 99% of the time there isn't. And, and so really what I end up telling my, my, my clients here is that question one, you like the way it looks. Answer choice A looks good. You pick it and then you move on. You can always come back to it. And what that's going to do is it's going to open up so much extra time for the harder questions then. It's really one of those things where it's odd. It's like because all of the questions count the same, you actually want to be uh, almost less certain about the first mm-hmm. 10 answer choices. Yeah, I totally agree. I think what I was just going to say was 
something that I think really separates a 160 score versus a 170 score is that ability to confidently move through the easier parts of this test. And when I say easier parts of this test, I typically mean the first half of any of the sections. First two logic games, first two RC passages, first 15 LR questions on average are going to be easier than the second half. And so if you are able to move through them very confidently, you're not second guessing yourself, you're not spending that much time on them, you're really just breezing through them and you're allotting a ton of time for yourself, either for the last half of the section or for the last, you know, after you finish the section, you have time for review. That I think is really what puts you into the score band of the 170s and really helps you kind of break the curve there, right? And get those curve breaker questions right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something we made a note of uh, is that it's really okay to get an easy question wrong if it allows you to get two or three harder questions right down the line, right? I'd rather you not spend five minutes trying to answer yeah. one of the questions from the first 15 because those five minutes are probably way better spent answering questions later in the test, right, in the last half of the section, because if you end up spending that time early on, you might have to give up the last three questions on the section because you just ran out of time, right? Yeah. That's not a worthwhile trade-off. Mm-hmm. So something you should always be reminding yourself is all these questions are worth the same. How can I pick up the most amount of points possible? doesn't yeah. matter where they came, come from. You just need to pick up the most amount of points possible. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't trade question seven uh, <laughs> for, for th- question 23, 24, and 25. Yes, it really absolutely. is really where where it's at. Uh, it, it's very easy to do that. As JY says, you, you kind of have to take some risks on this test. Mm-hmm. Um, with anything, you're, you're going to have to sometimes make a move that uh, realize you just need to move on. That's okay. It, totally that's agree. how you end up doing well. There's enough questions that the the risks in general are going to pan out in your favor. Um, yeah, and I mean, like speaking of moving on, <coughs> skip questions. I think that's another part of timing that a lot of people tend to neglect. We've talked about this before on the podcast. I personally am very trigger happy, especially on LR when it comes to skipping questions. Like yeah, by the time Asa's, I get to Asa's the, always blasting when it comes to skipping. Well, I mean, yeah, like by the time I get to the end of an LR section, I've probably skipped about half of the questions on the section because as soon That's as the crazy. question starts disturbing my peace, I move on. I'm done mm-hmm. with it. I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. Uh, and a lot of times there's this kind of sunk cost fallacy that if I've already spent a ton of time on this question, I have to stay here. I have to try to figure out the answer. I have to get it right. No, you don't. You really yeah. don't, right? Once you pass about a minute, minute and a half, if you're working on standard time, I think it's time to move on from the question. And yeah. and something I would really encourage you to do is try out a section that way. Try out a section skipping every single question. Every time you start to get even a little bit confused, you're going to realize that nearly every single question is going to be easier the second time you come around, right? Mm-hmm. Round two, I think is such like the idea of a round two, I think is such an underutilized skill when it comes to the LSAT. Yeah. You're not going to forget the question, right? I promise you read the question 10 minutes ago by the time you come back. Yeah. You're not going to forget it in 10 minutes. And yeah. you're going to be able to look at it with a lot more clarity. You're going to be able to answer it much more quickly. And you're probably going to be a lot less confused. So mm-hmm. something I have some of my clients do that might seem overly stressful or not that useful to some people, but I would really recommend you try it, is doing an LR section, like a full 25, 26 question section. For every single question, read through the stimulus, read through the answer choices, eliminate as many as you want. Don't pick anything and move on. And mm-hmm. don't come back and pick an answer until round two. See how much easier some of these questions feel, right? And I yeah. think if you can really implement that in your test taking strategy, I'm not saying that you have to take it like I do and skip half the questions, but if you skip even a few more, I think it's going to be a lot easier for you to get those curve breaker questions right. So yeah. how do you kind of feel about all that? Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things um, our boss, Scott, told us, and I, I really resonate with it, is the idea of, like, if you haven't seen it or seen the answer after a minute and a half, 
another minute and a half is probably not going to do it anyways. Yeah. And so you just come back to it uh, and with that fresher set of eyes. Like, it's not like you're forgetting everything, but you'll have a fresher set of eyes. You look back at it and you're like, oh, my God, I'm missing a single word uh, in the first sentence. And that can help protect you from digging yourself into a pit. I also think it's, it's just a good idea, too. It's like skipping is not bad. Uh, Asta skipped or would sometimes skip half the questions. Personally, I never skipped. Uh, <laughs> and we both got scores that are basically the same. Yeah. If you feel like you're skipping, it's not a sign that, oh, my God, you're doing something wrong. Uh, maybe that's just part of your strategy. Mm-hmm. I think you were also a lot more comfortable with LR than I was when I was taking yeah. the test. I think LR yeah. was like really your section, which I think is a really good segue into what we're going to talk about next, which is kind of going section by section. How should I practice the hardest questions? How should I practice some of these curve breaker questions? So why don't you get us started with LR, right? How would you practice curve breaker questions for LR? There's not a unifying idea. But mm-hmm. one thing about LR questions is they're all very similar. And, and frequently the LR curve breaker questions, they don't hinge on some crazy, logically difficult reasoning structure. Um, what they do is they, they, they try to obscure the sufficient condition, the necessary condition. They try to obscure the A's and the B's. Uh, this, this test is fundamentally if A, then B. Um, where they make it really hard on you is trying the simplest to simplest you know, form possible, I guess. Right now, but but that's what I tell people. It really, there's one one thing you need to know for L, not one thing, but one of the three things you need to know for LR is if A then B, and all <laughs> conditional questions are just riffs on that. Fair enough. Okay. Where they make it hard though is they uh, they obscure the A's and they obscure the B's. They make you think something says A when it really doesn't. They make you think B says something when it really doesn't. Um, because of that, a lot of these curve breaker LR questions involve just very subtle moves. Uh, the, the distinction between important newspaper stories and regular newspaper stories, uh, mm-hmm. the distinction between, uh, I don't know, um, a morally good thing and a thing that is legal, right? Those two, those two are not synonymous. And so what you can do and, and a, a trick I, I try to give to people who are, are fresher, right? Is just look at the words on the page. Any deviation <laughs> means it's different. I know it's words on the page, it's, but it's true. It's just words on the page. Yeah, if there's a deviation, fair. if they say, oh, it is illegal to murder, conclusion, it is bad to murder, well, like bad and illegal are two different concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not synonymous. And, and that can help guide you to where the argument is problematic. Now, of course, once you start getting in the 160s, 170s, they know people just pick answer choices that have similar words, and that, that will get you pretty far. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll add in particular answer choices that use similar words but are wrong and they'll make correct answer choices not use the exact same wording but the, it'll be synonymous if you're just starting out I, I would just encourage you to to be really really diligent in making sure you do not um like every single premise matches up right every single if they're using the word illegal you want to see the word illegal mm-hmm. you don't see the word illegal that's probably going to be your gap there yeah uh, and, and that can help really the the curve breaking questions very often are that they'll they'll add in a little word um a question i just did today which is uh involved lamps and and a a correct answer would have said oh this culture made more lamps uh but the answer choice had actually said this culture had more kinds of lamps and of course the distinction between kinds of lamps versus more lamps it's a curve breaker question because of that though that's obnoxious yeah i know it's very annoying but it's one of those things where the lr questions are the harder ones it's not like a reasoning error because uh, as we talked about this the you know conditional reason can only get so hard Mm -hmm. what they do is they slip in little answer choices or slip in little words into the answer choices that can completely change the meeting so working on precise reading 
That's um, totally fair. I think something that can really help with that and something I've seen a lot of our clients do are translating drills. So really just taking the stimulus of the hardest questions that you've done before or taking a set of new, really difficult five-star questions and just translating each part of the stimulus, right? Step by step, putting it into your own words, making sure you're able to understand it for exactly what the words on the paper are saying. Uh, and take it one step at a time. Don't wait until the end yeah. of the stimulus to realize you don't understand what you're reading. Every single line yeah. you should be able to understand. You should be able to put into your own words. You should be able to translate. Um, and if you can really articulate that, like write it down, write down your translations. I think it's really, really good practice for those harder questions. Uh, and the more that you do it, yeah. the faster you'll get. And, and, and bouncing off of that too, conditional translations need to be one of those things that you just see this sentence and you immediately know what the sufficient condition mm -hmm. is and what the necessary condition is. It, it needs to be one of those things where it's not something you have to piece together. Um, and, and frequently I run into people who have very good conditional reasoning, but they have very bad translations. Yeah. And so sometimes you just got to tell those people you need to work on your translations. Um, it, it's kind of like, it's like they know how to sound out the individual letters of a word. But they don't just look at a word and know what it, it, it sounds like. That's a really good way of putting it, yeah. You, you see a not unless, oh, um, I can't go to the store unless I pay a toll. Y you have to know immediately what that means. If, if you're listening to that and you don't immediately know what the sufficient and the necessary condition is, uh, probably a sign you need to go back. Uh, go practice your mm -hmm. conditional translations. Work on not unless. Um, if okay. you're trying to get these curve breaker questions, I think, would be the caveat that I put over there. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say that is the caveat. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe we, we would I'd diverge a little bit. I think it's one of those things you, you really should be good at translation if you're looking to get into the one sixties. I think it's you better can if it's pretty instant. comfortably score in the one fifties, probably if one fifties, maybe low one sixties. If you still have to put in a little bit of work to translate those things, you kind of have to map it out. Fair it's enough. not like an automatic process to you, but I think the work that it requires to be able to automatically translate conditional logic will really reap benefits for people who, for people who are trying to score in the upper 160s, 170s range. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, again, like a level of mastery that those higher scores require. It's a way of reframing the way you think for this test. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, the only other note that I have for LR that I think is kind of helpful is really trying to think about eliminating first, right? Every time mm -hmm. you look at an answer choice, you should be hypercritical and trying to see what makes this answer choice wrong? And if you can't find a good reason that makes it wrong, it's probably the right answer. But a lot of times for these harder questions, we'll look at an answer choice and we're like, ooh, that looks right. You know, I think that answer is good. I'm going to look through the rest and yeah. eliminate them, whatever. Yeah. But we're not super hyper hypercritical about eliminating. So something I have a lot of my students do as well is go through really hard LR questions, even ones that they've missed before or already done, and actually highlight the words or phrases in an answer choice that make it wrong. And if you do that enough times, I think you really get into the habit of, of looking to eliminate first. I don't think you should be doing that for some of the easier questions in the first half of the section. But and something I know that we've talked about before, once I get to about the second half of an LR section, I'm kind of switching my mindset. So instead of looking for what makes an answer choice right, I'm now moving on to look at what makes an answer choice wrong. So mm. does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, for me, the switch, the second half, it, it's mostly just okay, I have to be a lot more careful. Mm -hmm. I have to be very, uh, I have to be a lot more vigilant because that's where the traps come in. Uh, as opposed to, you know, question one through five, I'm, I'm, I'm almost not paying attention. It's just kind of autopilot mode. <laughs> Don't say that. No, no you but have it, to but pay it's, attention. Well, you have to pay attention, but it, it's, it's one of those things where 
I guess this is again speaking to the people who are looking to start breaking into those one seventies. It's like you look question two. It's not. It's probably not a trap, right? If you see B and you're like, oh, this definitely strengthens the argument. You don't need to be think. Oh well, I mean, maybe they're trapping me on this, right? You know, I, oh, number this two, could be yeah. One little option. They're not thinking about that. It's like no, right? If if, if you are in the one sixty, it looks like it strengthens. It probably is the right answer. And mm-hmm. so you, you'd pick it and then you'd move. And then all of a sudden, like question 14 comes around. You're like, wait a minute. All right. Now I have to be a little bit more careful uh, because I know that these are where the, the real trappy, the more difficult questions come into play. So talking about RC, I think a lot of the tips that we use for LR work just as well. So translating drill works really well for RC. It's something I do almost automatically at this point. I'll be reading a sentence or a part of a paragraph and I'm automatically kind of putting it into my own words. Another thing with RC that I would really remember is don't wait until the end of the passage to realize you don't understand the passage. Mm. That is such a huge waste of your time. And I think a lot of times we get nervous about the timing and we don't want to spend too long on the passage. So we won't understand a paragraph. So we'll just move on to the next paragraph and hope that we'll understand that. And then the words, you just start glossing over them on the paper and then you get to the end. You don't know anything. Yeah. I've seen that happen so many times. Take it one paragraph at a time. If you get Mm -hmm. to the end of the paragraph and you don't understand what it has to do with the passage as a whole, Let's say you get to the end of paragraph three and you have no idea what paragraph three has to do with paragraphs one and two. Go back and figure it out before you keep reading, especially with these harder passages. There's usually like a almost like a light bulb moment. We're like, oh, like I understand what this passage is trying to say. And it's usually not that complicated. It just takes a little bit of time to get there. And -hmm. that time is way, way, way better spent on the passage than trying to get to the questions and figure it out from there. So really focus on translating, really focus on working on that. Speaking on that, that light bulb moment, uh, we we talk about this thing called monitoring, right? You're trying to monitor Mm. yourself and make sure that when you're reading, you're actually like comprehending as opposed to just reading words on the page. Did I actually understand the word I just read or did I just read a a sequence of words and keep going? Uh, So your goal is to monitor your understanding. Another way to check your understanding is exactly what you said. Uh, You are by the end of the passage, the last paragraph, nothing should be too crazy. Very frequently, what they're doing is they're just tying everything together. It should make a lot of sense at that point. If you yeah. get to paragraph three, you realize it you didn't make any sense. You reread the paragraph. Maybe you need to reread paragraph one. Mm-hmm. Um, another good check, at least on the science passages, is there will be a theory. Um, uh, you know, th- There'll be any kind of theory, and they'll say, like, oh, well, this theory is supported by five lines of evidence. And what they'll do is they'll give you a line of evidence but they're not going to explicitly tell you how it supports that theory. You should already know. Yeah. Right? Like you, at that point, at that point, you should already know like why that line of evidence um, supports that theory. If you don't, it means your understanding is probably not where it needs to be, and that's fine. You just you need to go back. Yeah. Uh, people, oh, Asta Henry, doesn't it take a lot of time to reread everything? Yes, it does. Uh, but uh, incredibly, you know, I don't know. Like Asta, when you understand an RC passage, are the questions that hard? No. No. It's so easy. It's cake. You don't even have to yeah. worry about it. The pop, questions, pop, 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 you're done. The questions are so much easier. I mean, it's like, of course, right? Of course the questions are easy when you understand it. But the, the, the principle there is that they don't take a lot of time to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's so much better to invest your time up front in RC uh, and spend that time understanding, rereading uh, what you need. And then when you get to the questions, they're going to go by quickly. Uh, so it, it's like investing. Absolutely. And honestly, like these four or five star passages – Usually it's not the questions that are hard, right? It's just getting to that light bulb moment on the actual passage that is trickier and is making this passage difficult. But if you can get there and get to that understanding and 
comprehend, right? Like we forget the mm. name of the section a lot. Uh, if we can really just comprehend what it is that we're reading, the questions go by a lot sooner. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say is if you're only struggling with four or five star RC passages, like the one through three, you are easy breezy, not worrying about it. You're totally fine. If you're only struggling with harder one, it might be helpful. And again, I'm saying might, this is a big, maybe this isn't going to be helpful for everyone, but it's something worth trying reading outside material. Right? A lot of people say that they read the economist, uh, when they are studying for the LSAT. I personally just read like random articles out of the New York times, pick mm. something that you're really not interested in. Pick something that is boring. Pick something that's difficult to answer, uh, difficult to understand. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more exposure you have to different topics, different difficulties of reading, different materials the better off you're going to be with these four or five star passages because if you're only struggling with the harder ones in my mind one or two things one of two things are happening one you're either just not interested when things get complicated right when reading is easy you do really well but when reading is hard you don't do well or number two you are just running out of time and you just need to get faster with the easier passages but if the first one of those two things are happening that dense complicated passages are throwing you off try reading a newspaper try reading a magazine read some articles that you're not familiar with and see if that helps at all. Have you ever tried that out, or do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Really, the, the last thing I'd add is I get this from – and sometimes this is where I give a little bit of tough love, which is people like, oh, you know, I'm just not interested in the passages at all. And it's like, okay, well, why, why do the passages have to be interesting to you? Yeah. Like, to get, for you to get them right. It, 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 and, of course, like, going to law school, the reading is a thousand times worse and a lot less interesting and a yeah. lot longer, and you have to do more of it. I guarantee you, you will not be interested in a lot of what you do in law school. That's fine. Um, you're still going to have to understand it. Yeah. And so, like, you know, put, put on your, your big person pants <laughs> and spend four minutes reading five paragraphs. <laughs> okay? You know, you don't, you, don't need, you don't need to love the passage. This is a classic thing. My, my dad used to tell me this. You don't have to like it. You just have to do it. No, that's and totally I, fair. I mean, it might – it sounds a little bit harsh, and I – I would not be brave enough to, like, put it that blatantly. But, like, yeah, I think you're right. At the end of the day, it doesn't have to be interesting. If anything, these RC passages are probably going to be the most interesting things that you read academically for a while. Um, and, and so really just putting that aside, getting into kind of a flow state, not really even worrying about it, feigning interest if you absolutely need to. But, yeah, this test is yeah. not meant to be entertaining. It's meant to be tough. Uh, and yeah. you just kind of have to get through that. Yeah, totally one, one other thing, I just like when it comes to the questions, too, and if you, you want some more, like, actionable items that aren't just relevant to Curve Breaker, is this idea, like, RC questions are the most diverse mm-hmm. in that you can't really predict what they're going to ask. On 7th Stage, we have a couple, like, categories, but the categories are not catch-all. In the same way, a sufficient assumption question is, is pretty catch-all. Like, it tells you exactly what you need to do. Uh, yeah. That being said, make sure you actually read the question stem. <laughs> for RC, because no, I'm, I'm being serious, because there will be times where they say, what's the main point of the, of the passage, or what's the main point? And you're, you're immediately going to think what the main point of the entire passage is, only for you to realize that the question stem actually said, what's the main point of paragraph three, or, mm. or paragraph two, or paragraph one? And yeah. I guarantee you, when they do that, there's going to be an answer choice that uh, fits the main point of the entire passage, and it will be wrong, because you're only supposed to be looking at one paragraph. Uh, yeah. Those types of questions... Um, tend to be a little bit more trappier uh but but they really don't have to be it's like if you just read this the questions it reminds you know when you have like those like those fifth grade teachers who are like make sure you read the directions carefully 
Uh, the very last thing I'll say about RC is that in season one, we had a ton of what I thought were some of our best episodes on RC, giving really actionable items, mm. really giving you a strategy or a method if you don't have one for RC right now. So yeah. if you're hearing all of this and you're like, I've tried all that, I just really get so lost with RC. I would recommend going back to season one and listening to some of those RC episodes. I'm really proud of them. I think there's a lot of really good stuff on there. Now, most of the Curve Breaker Logic games come in the form of miscellaneous games. And I know miscellaneous games are the ones that everybody freaks out about. Everyone is so stressed about them. Here's the thing, though. A lot of miscellaneous games, in my opinion, fall into buckets of games that you already know. For example, there's this one computer virus game that is, like, infamous. I have seen so many people struggle with it, so many, like, blog posts about it, forum posts about it. This computer virus game, do you know what I'm talking about, Henry? Vaguely. I remember crushing it back in the day. Oh, my God. Regardless. Mm -hmm. It's a computer virus game, (laughs) and it's this, like, super tricky five-star whatever. It's a sequencing game. That's all it is. It's a sequencing game. And it's formatted a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, it is literally just a sequencing game. And a lot of these miscellaneous games, if you really take, like, a big picture look at it, you're going to realize they look a lot like games that you know. For example, Mm. in the August exam, I saw a lot of frustrations about, like, one logic game that was on the August exam uh, that just happened. Mm. A lot of people were upset about it. A lot of people were confused. It just looked like a grouping game. It looked like a really weird, 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 weird grouping game. Mm. Um, So what I would really recommend doing if you're struggling with these miscellaneous games is, number one, buy yourself enough time to tackle them. Breathe through the first couple games. And number two, do a lot of miscellaneous games. Expose yourself to as many of them as you can. So you can start to identify which buckets they all fall into. And then Mm -hmm. if you've seen enough of them, you can start to apply what you already know, games that you've already done. I would really recommend going back to PTs 1 through 35, the really, really old ones, and doing as many of those games as you can. Because those games are weird. Super, super weird. There's a bunch of weird stuff going on there. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think, I mean, the best protection against a miscellaneous game is having 15 minutes to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's that's usually what I tell people. It's like... That's fair. Really, I mean, a one-star sequencing game needs to take you under five minutes. It doesn't need to, but it, if it, you're on it, standard it, time, if you're trying to get the curve breaker games, yeah, yeah. It, it's really it, it. It's not that it needs to take less, but it doesn't need to take longer. Is the better mm-hmm. way to put it. Does not need to take longer than that. What these miscellaneous games do is they they test like how well like do you actually understand why you do an in and out chain? Do you understand why you do a sequencing chain? Because what they'll do is they'll give you a board that uses the exactly what you said. It uses the same principles. But because it's slightly novel or slightly different, people start freezing yeah. up. And they're like, oh, my Absolutely. God, you know, the, the motions I do don't work. Where, of course, the motions don't work, but the, the reasoning behind uh, the sequencing chain or the in and out chain will work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, like, I mean, going back to if you, the fundamentals, right, no, understanding why is it uh, that an in and out chain can do what it does? Um, why is it that sequencing uh, chains work is very key on these miscellaneous mm-hmm. games. And, yeah. and then, yeah, also just really, I mean, I can't stress the buying yourself enough time too far. Like, you, you really want enough time. Um, and if you, sometimes people who are having trouble at miscellaneous games, it just means that they are doing in-and-out games, one-star, two-star, in-and-out games too slow, or one-star sequencing games too slow. Uh, those, yeah. those games do not t- need to take a while. And I think that's just kind of a repeated message across all three sections. You can get better at hard questions by doing easier questions faster yeah. right, across this test. So the very last thing I'll say about logic games is foolproofing. If you're not familiar with foolproofing, I would look it up on the 7th Age website. It's a a strategy that we use essentially of repeating games over and over again until you can really perfect them. 
doing that mm-hmm. with as many miscellaneous five-star games as you can you almost have to get better right by foolproofing and repeating games over and over again you're just going to build a muscle memory it's going to feel a lot more comfortable i think it's the best way to improve on logic games personally yeah awesome so henry do you have any kind of closing thoughts on that no closing thoughts other than uh start getting faster just do the problems quicker just do the problems quicker it's that easy be faster so simple that's what you learned from the seventh angels that podcast i mean as with anything on this test a lot of uh, this is the the perennial thing of Mm. every question once you see it it's so easy yeah like once you see the right answer choice you're like oh of course and and so really your goal is to remember that basically i don't want to 99 percent of questions and even a lot of curve breaker questions are just like that there is Mm -hmm. a a move you can make that is going to make everything so simple, right? In a miscellaneous game, there's usually one big inference you need to make, and then everything becomes very simple. Uh, on the LR curve breaking questions, there's usually one word that maybe you're missing or that people gloss over that ends up making it very simple. Same with RC. Yeah. I, and I so totally be on the hunt for those. Make sure, be very diligent in, um, in your reading and making sure that what you're reading is really what you're thinking. Because usually when those diverge is, is, is where those curve breaker questions like to like to live. Um, awesome. Keep subscribing to Seven Sage Plus. <laughs> I was waiting for the plug. I hadn't heard of this yeah. episode yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had Good to get work it in. there. Good work. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. We have a really fun one planned for y'all next week. I'm looking forward for y'all to hear it. Mm-hmm. And as always, happy studying. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Enjoy. Peace.